I have with me today somebody whose paths I have crossed many, many times. We have had so many mutual friends who say, you guys, you guys got to talk. You guys got to meet each other. And uh, so I'm going to do it on national television because why not? Bridget Truxillo, we are so grateful you took some time out of your busy, busy schedule to spend time with us here. Well, thank you. I know uh, so many people have said, you, you agree, you guys have got to talk. You guys have got to talk. And then finally, we made it happen. Right. Let's do it on national TV. So right. uh, you're you're a fellow cop, uh, but yep. then uh, you went further and uh, you became yep. an attorney. So first and foremost, I'm always going to ask the uh, question I ask every cop that comes on my show. Why did you become a cop? Well, I, I've said many times that I'm a, I'm a real dork in the sense that like I truly believe in right and wrong, that I truly believe that people should hold up accountable. I mean, I have three kids. It's the same way that I raised my kids to, you know, to, to be a good person, do what's right, look out, could be kind to others. And when that doesn't happen, I feel like somebody should call you on it or there should be consequences for it. And while I don't mean brutal punishment, I just mean to hold people accountable for what's right. And so that was definitely a big part of that in and wanting to have a job that mattered in that sense. And then also I was really young at the time and I, I, I was into exercise, but in my early twenties and I thought, well, will I, will I exercise forever? Will I have the motivation for it? And I thought, well, I'll just get a job that requires me to be fit. And so then I joined the sheriff's office and then I quickly learned that law enforcement doesn't really require you to be fit. Um, but I, you know, I, then I, I chose a, a, a challenging path to, do that because I was on the SWAT team, but you know, now I'm 48 years old and I still work out regularly. So now I know that it's not the job that, that motivates that. Um, but that was two, those two things really, as I wanted to do something that would contribute to, um, a safe and, and just society. And then I wanted to be fit. That was why. So talk about, and I think people are always surprised to learn that we don't have in law enforcement, these high, high fitness standards in every agency and all that. I'm, I'm the same uh, as you. I was, you know, I love, I, to this day at age 64, I love working out. And, uh, but that whole, um, do we stay fit in law enforcement is very much a personal thing, unless you have an assignment that requires you to stay fit. But, but I would argue that every assignment in law enforcement, whether it's patrol or detectives or supervision, or you're the chief of police or the sheriff of the agency that uh, fitness is so incredibly important, not just for your physical well-being, but your mental health, right? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, we could talk, we could fill this whole conversation with. And I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not any of those things. And yet, I have I've obsessed at this, you know, up to this point in my life with being fit and healthy. And it's for longevity. I mean, at this point in my life, it's sure there's some vanity to it, but it's also for longevity. I mean, I, I want to be functioning. I, I have had kids later in life. I'm 48 and have a six-year-old. I want to be able to enjoy my son as a grown man and, and his grandkids that, he, you know, my, that I'll have with him, hopefully. Um, you know, I want it's longevity and it's health, but a hundred percent, my exercise is my, one of my very important mental health tools. So you are now a practicing attorney. Tell us about that transition from deputy to attorney. So I went into law enforcement thinking that it would be my forever career and I wanted to do, went local so that I could maybe someday go federal. Um, and when I got to the sheriff's office, you know, I, I, I'm a, I choose, 
I guess I constantly choose challenge, <laughs> not guess, I know. And so I went into, you know, started in patrol and there was an opportunity within the less than a year to go to undercover narcotics. So I switched to undercover narcotics. And then right around the same time I got on the narcotics unit, there was an opening on the SWAT team. And I thought that'd be cool. <laughs> um, so I tried out for the SWAT team and I made it. And so I was the only female on the SWAT team, the only female they, they had ever had. Um, they not have not had one since. Um, and that came with that, all the challenges you would expect. Um, no, you know, physical harassment, no physical assaults, but over time it was that it just didn't matter. Nothing I did was gonna matter. They did not want me there. I was, you know, just constantly in trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble. And so my, you know, with, you know, going into law enforcement, like I said, wanting to do something, wanting to do something that matters, wanting to have a positive benefit in my, you know, my community. And then my own department doing things to continually say, no, you no, you're wrong. No, you suck. No, you're awful. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that. You can bleep that out. Um, and so, you know, it really just started, it really started ultimately, I mean, there's a culmination where I round up my own SWAT team was calling me a rat behind my back. And it was like we had executed a search warrant where I had done the undercover buys three times where a guy was practically holding a rifle the whole time. And I got the search, I did the buys, I got the search warrant, we were executing my search warrant. And then I found out on the way that, and there's a longer story behind that, but then ultimately I went to my SWAT team commander and I was like, look, I'm not asking for better treatment. I'm just asking for equal treatment. Like if, if, and I'm not asking that everybody gets in trouble. I'm just saying if I make mistakes and mine are written up and I get reprimanded and I get probation and I get 500 mountain climbers, then the guys should get the same thing. Or like, let's figure out what the standard is, but it shouldn't be just me. And he then took that and told my team that I was trying to rat somebody out. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me because um, it had been really bad up to that point. You know, ultimately I, th I knew at that point I was gonna go to law school because I just decided I, I didn't wanna put up with that. It was a choice I could make to, I, and I had done enough investigations in the narcotics unit to work with federal investigators and, and no disrespect to any federal investigators out there, but learned that I was going to face the same issues, um, maybe just slightly bigger egos, the, the higher up you go. Um, and I just chose not to do that. And so I quit and it was a horrible decision. Um, I was, it, it was so one of the worst, it was so hard, a really hard time, but I went to law school and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but it can't be a bad thing. And then, but I knew I wanted to help cops someday. I knew I would want to come back and help. And, and despite how upset I was with the treatment I received at my department, I still believe strongly in the value and the importance and the crucial role that law enforcement plays in society. And I wanted to be able to do something to help them succeed in that and go home and be happy. So fast forward 15 years, I decided I hated the law firm life, just hated it and decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to start my own firm. I'm going to help people. And what I do is I had no one I could turn to for answers when I was at the sheriff's office. I was, you know, when you get investigated by internal affairs, you can't talk to anybody about it. Well, if you're the only female on the SWAT team facing issues, like, well, who am I supposed to talk to about this? And I didn't, would never have reached out to my union rep because I felt like he would have just been part of the problem. So that's who I am now. I am the person that you call when you're facing these things within your department and you don't know who you can trust and you just really are desperate for answers. And you just need, you need to know if it's wrong. You need to know if there's something you can do about it. And you, and you just need to have a plan. And that's what I help people do is I help them come up with a plan so they can start to feel like they have a little more control of the situation going forward. How has thing, how have things changed um, since the 2020 vilification and demonization of the American law enforcement officer? You know, how, how have things changed 
as far as what you do to help cops? Well, I think the saddest part about that is that the nature of the job hasn't changed, as you know. I mean, you, you're dealing with the evil, the mean, the bad, the dredges, the, you know, the, the people who are willingly trying to do bad things to other people. And that stays the same. And that has always been hard. And then, at the, but the sad part is that, that because of the, the shift in public opinion, that also comes sadly from district attorneys, uh, mayors, city council members, city managers, city administrators, who will actively make things more difficult for law enforcement officers. But in, within the context of what, what I do, which is the employment law issues, is that they will then try and speak up for themselves. And not only, it, it, it's always a hard case to make, but now it's that even more they don't care or they push it down or they just decide, oh, well, that's not an issue. I'm not looking into this. Um, and that can lead to catastrophic mental health issues for law enforcement officers, um, which I'll share and I'll share it as many times as I can, including there's a lady in Austin Police Department, um, I think maybe about a month, or not, not even two months ago, who sadly committed suicide after she had faced, she developed some mental health issues in her department and they weren't able to get the, you know, from the 50,000 foot view, you could see, hey, something's wrong. She, these, she's never done these things before, not showing up to work, being late to work, just making mistakes. And instead of seeing it as a red flag, oh my gosh, something's wrong. They papered her file. They put her on probation. They disciplined her. They put her in internal affairs investigation, I think more than once. And this is, you can find this story out there. I'm not, I didn't find these details. Somebody else did. And then ultimately it pushed her to the point where she committed suicide and left her two kids behind, her family behind. And that's what I'm seeing more of now is that there's even less support for law enforcement from a public opinion standpoint. And then you're eliminating, even giving them the option of trying to rectify wrongs. And, and that's what I see from it, which is just heartbreaking. You know, and that's the thing. I think people, uh, there's a, a misconception out there that cops, you know, what what causes post-traumatic stress or other mental health issues is, um, oh, I had to shoot someone or I'm worried about getting shot myself. Things, you know, I saw terrible things. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, one of the worst things that we deal with is having to deal with our own administration. Um, you know, there's just so many frustrating things happen from an employment standpoint. Um, and then when you have, when you have uh, been absolutely vilified and demonized by your public and, and you see it on the news every night and, and this and that, that, that ultimately what you do, not only what you do doesn't matter uh, from a national perspective or a local perspective, but what you do is somehow evil and racist and this and that. When in reality, like you, like me, like most other cops, we got into this job to help people. That's why I think we're seeing this incredible spike in uh, mental health issues in law enforcement. So, so talk about that. What are those issues um, and what can we do about it? You know, it's like I said, and why I do what I do, which is to give people the answers that they need for, for somebody to sit like where I know, like not only have I, so I've been through it first of all, so I, I completely understand what you're going through. Um, but then second for me to be able to say, okay, they can't do this. They, so you need to do something about it. But what I tell people all the time is if, if I would have come to me back then and said, oh, Bridget, 
you, this is wrong. You need to, you need to report this. And then if you would, as an attorney, if I would have said, and you should file a lawsuit, I should, I would have said, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to file a lawsuit. I just want to do my job. Like just tell them to leave me. Can you make them leave me alone and let me go? I want to be a good SWAT operator. I want to be a good investigator. I want to advance, uh, uh, advance in my career. If that's what the career, you know, if I can stay in the career. And so I think it's, um, what I do for that is in addressing those issues is, is, is recognizing that like it's not you're not jumping straight to a lawsuit and also as that i know there's so many things that come before that and having those discussions and and having somebody be heard i mean i've i've had conversations with and i don't just represent i mean more than 50% of my clients are men uh, you know that's representative of law enforcement cuz women are still 13 to 15% depending on where you know of law enforcement so i mean i have men who are you know 15 20 25 30 year veterans that call me crying because they have given their whole life to this job. And at the end, somebody's pushing them out. And the worst thing you can do to somebody who's dedicated their whole life to something like in this profession is to make them feel like it didn't matter. And that happens. And that's exactly what it feels like, is that what you've done doesn't matter, considering that your mental health is at risk, you're probably your physical health is at risk. Um, too many people, when they retire from this job, drop dead, you know, three months, six months later because of the trauma and the stress that you've sustained for too long. And so... That what you do about it is it starts with you must report it, and that's where consulting with an attorney, whether that it's me or and I'm not not saying I'm not saying come to me so I can make money for it. I'm saying consult with somebody. I'm, it could be a therapist, it could be you know, a union representative, it could be a union lawyer, it can be a, a lawyer like me. But to consult with somebody to say this is what's happening, I need to talk this through, and then make that report because legally once you make that report and you put somebody on note of something that triggers uh is the supposed to trigger a response on their part but that's the first step is putting somebody on notice of wrongdoing and i don't mean that you're walking in the station with a can of gasoline you know threatening to burn the place down that's not what i mean i mean that there is a pragmatic and calm way to go about saying okay i need you guys i need to put you guys on notice of what's happening and i would like to have a conversation about how we can fix this and with the right support you can do that you know, and that's that's the thing. Very few law enforcement officers around this country, uh, you know, wake up in the morning and think, well, I'm just going to sue my agency. Right. Because even if you're leaving and people say, well, if I sue my department, will it follow me after? Yes, it will. It will follow you after. And will they want to they will not want to touch you with a 10 foot pole because there's an active lawsuit, not because they think there's necessarily something wrong with you because you filed the suit. It's just that's a liability in their mind, whether it's true or not, whether it's an actual liability, they're going to think that. And so, no, there's a lot of things you can do is bef way before else. There's also things you have to do before you could ever get to filing a lawsuit. So there's things to say so that you can start that conversation and put people on notice. And sometimes it's as simple as somebody like, you know, having a lawyer send a letter or make a phone call to say, hey, this is what you did. I would just like to share and say, this is what here's some options. This is what you should have done. Would you consider doing this? And a lot of times they'll say, oh, okay, well, maybe the city attorney has to get involved or the county attorney, but we can have that conversation say, yes, we can do that. I mean, are you violating a maternity policy? Are you violating a, like a rule that protects women's, like your, your injured status? I mean, there's all kinds of things to say, like, this is what you did, but this is what you're supposed to do. And here's proof of that. Can we fix it? Oh, okay, let's fix that. Now, no, it doesn't always go that way. But you definitely don't know unless you try and it's not worth, and that's what I beg people, do not suffer in silence. It is not worth 
going down that deep, dark path when there are, there's so many people out that can help and want to help, um, of course, including me. And that could be, I, I'm sure people reach out to you all the time. And it's pointing people in the right direction for the right resources so that they can take the steps that they need to protect their mental health. This is, for me, this is all comes down to protecting the mental health of police officers, because that's what I, I want you to be happy. I want, I want you to stay on the job because we need you on the job, but I want you to be safe and healthy doing that. So that's, that's where I come from with what I do. What do cops need to do when they, if you know, somebody's watching this or if you're a police uh, family member, things like that. Um, what do we as law enforcement officers need to do, need to think about to protect our own mental health? I think you know, it's like we talked about with physical fitness is it's up to you and no one's going to do it for you. Um, I remember when I was at the shit went on the SWAT team and it was just constant, like, you know, in trouble and trouble and trouble, just spot. And I get it. I, I, I knew that I knew I was going to be in the spotlight being the only female on the SWAT team. But at the same time, at some point, you just got to like get over it. Like we're all doing the same job. Um, and I, what I wanted is I never reported, I never officially reported it. And that's my only real regret from being in law enforcement is for multiple reasons. Um, why do I regret that? Because number one is I never put them on notice that what they're doing is wrong. So then they thought that, well, then, then what I'm doing is okay. Well, no, it's not okay. So then anybody that comes after me is going to suffer the same in the same way. But also is that no one's going to do it for you. And it's not a personal, you can't consider it a personal attack against you. You just, it just is. And if it's not wrong, you have to say it. I wanted somebody to stand up for me and make things stop so bad so that it didn't have to be me to say it. So it wouldn't be as bad on me if I did say it, but it's just never going to happen. It's just not people, not because people are evil, they're not because they're willing something bad to happen to you on a daily basis. It's just not the way it works. So you, you have to stand up for yourself. And when you do that, you start to feel that control that is so important. And especially in the chaotic world of law enforcement, as you, you're expanding your circle of control, your circle of influence, when you start to take positive steps for yourself, instead of just waiting for somebody to do it for you. And again, that's whether you're facing a, a legal issue at work or your, your health and fitness or your nutrition or your sleep. I mean, it's everything. It 100% can be you. And it can start with just little bitty baby steps each day, even if, you know, in whatever context we're talking about, but it has to be you, you have to be the one to say, this is not right. And I'm going to, I'm going to take a stand. What do you see and hear from cops? What are their biggest concerns in this? Uh, again, you know, now we're going into the fourth year of just having our profession so incredibly vilified. <laughs> Sadly, as you see, the numbers keep going down. Um, the interest in getting into the profession is certainly not going up. Agencies are trying more, you know, trying to come up with more and more ways to get more people in, changing standards of bringing people in. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have an, uh, you know, not to go down that road of of changing standards or should you or should you not allow people in who've you know used drugs before or you know whether it's marijuana i mean you know obviously marijuana is a lot different now than it was when i got in i mean you know now people have a much different opinion of is marijuana good or bad but you know i think that it's just the 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 you know everybody's understaffed everybody's overworked and to try and bring more people in i think that 
I do. I, I like to send messages out like, hey, chief or sheriff, like say, here's something I should like for you to keep in mind. Like, for you know, for example, the other day I said, hey, chief or sheriff, did you know that sometimes an HR professional will get a complaint and decide on their own to not investigate it and they just close the case? Well, what I think probably you would want to know if the complaint had to do with a sergeant who was, you know, committing sexual harassment, because those kind of things significantly impact the morale within your department. And it, it does take more of a mental health because we we can't change on our own what like what mental the, the um, public perception of law enforcement. We can only continue to try to do the right things and to support our officers in the right way, which from my perspective is that from chief or sheriff all the way down and to have that message go all the way down, which is that if you hear something, and this is the, the legal standard, you don't have to agree that something was sexual harassment. You do have to look into it. And that is so important for somebody to feel heard. Even if you look into it and you get all the, and you do it the right way, and you come back and you say, we looked into this, here's what we found, and you present that, but you show them that you looked into it. That is so important to be able to keep more people. And then that that morale like, has ripple effects. People hear that, people know that about your department and you'll be able to get more people in. We need more people. We need to keep the people that are there. And an important aspect of that is treating employees the right way. I mean, we're still an employee. It just so happens we have this crazy, weird, very stressful job. Bridget, where can people find you? What's your socials? What's your website? My website is ladylawshield.com. And that's the best way to get started with me in any way. And of course, all my social links are on the website. Um, I do offer free 15-minute calls. So if you're having something, you can call me. We'll talk about it. I'll tell you if I think you have an issue and if there's something I can help do to help. Um, and you know, sign up for my newsletter. You don't always need a lawyer, but I do send out just short newsletters with little snippets saying, if this happens, know this. You know, I make them real short so that if you need somebody someday, or you know somebody that needs somebody someday, you can, you know, you know where to go for that help. But um, so yeah, my website, ladylawshield.com. Bridget Truxillo, thank you so much for spending some of your valuable time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, Officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain.